for tuning in to the 174th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D-Land, as always. Wherever you are, however you're listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or WJCU this morning being pre-recorded from Buffalo, New York. Gonna release the podcast out Friday night. Gonna this is gonna be on radio Saturday morning. So thank you everybody for tuning in and listening. Gonna have a great show for you all today. Gonna have my guy. We haven't had him on uh, in a couple weeks. Kenny Sem. Me and Kenny we're gonna do. Kenny's going to reveal his top wide receiver, running back, and quarterback combinations in the NFL. Also, we're gonna talk about which which coaches. And quarterbacks are on the hot seat. So we're going to get into that. It's going to be great content. Always enjoy having Kenny on. Now, first, where I do, what I do want to talk about, some somber news in the uh, John Carroll community. And I do want to definitely say this, since this is going to be on the John Carroll radio station, WJCU. Uh, Chris Winsler passed away uh, about a couple days ago. And for those of you who don't know him, he runs the sports information department at John Carroll. I personally had an opportunity to interact with him during my time there. Uh, one of the one of the best men I've ever met. A great guy, somebody that really cared about his job. And one of the things that to encapsulate who Chris was, I, I can remember uh, this year, second semester. I'm at the in between, and Chris is at the in between too. And we end up getting in a conversation. We start talking about George Duke's for uh, George Duke, uh, the jazz singer, for like ten minutes. And then we ended up talking about LeBron. And this is when LeBron's doing his low manager, right? And Chris is kind of like, "Damn, LeBron's talking about he's not playing tonight. He's doing load management. I wish I could do load management." <laughs> and I laughed, and it was funny because uh, there's the regular part that people always talk about, like I have a regular job. Why is uh, LeBron gets to take off when I can't take off on my uh, eight to eight to six job, right, or my six to twelve job, my overnight shift job. But Chris was going through cancer, uh, and he wanted to work so bad, Th- and that's what it kind of hit me. Chris wanted to work so bad. Chris had cancer. Chris, he didn't have to come to work. He wanted to come to work. Like li- people literally had to tell him to go, like stay at home, take care of yourself. Be with your family. Chris is like, no, because that's how much he loves John Carroll. That's how much he loves the students that he works with. And that's how much he loves the JC community. And that's how much he loved his job. And I had the utmost respect for it. And it just made me think like, you know, how can I do something and not put my all into it when I see somebody going through something that hopefully to God I never experienced or anybody in my family ever experienced and having cancer that ends up being terminal for you and I still want to go to work because I want to impact lives and I love my job that much. And I and I think we all would hope that we end up loving what we do that much to where we're like, I have to be here. And it, and it just shows. Chris, the last thing Chris ever posted, uh, he uh, talked about how he was going to be entering hospice care. And just the amount of comments he got, 
the shares on Facebook. It, it was crazy. He got like 1K likes. I don't know people who are on Facebook, but th that's a lot of likes. Uh, and that shows the impact he's had on people's lives and how he's touched people and, and the love he has. Because, you know, uh, when it's all said and done and everybody leaves this earth and they all pass, I think a lot of times you can tell the good you've done by kind of the reception you get. And people around the John Carroll community are hurting. And I also want to say my thoughts and prayers to uh, uh, Chris's wife. And I know he has uh, a couple of children as well and just the whole Winsler family. And I just want to share that because Chris is a great guy and he's one of the best men I've ever met. Why is that John Carroll? Truly a man for others would uh, we try to encapsulate there at John Carroll. Now that we got that out, I'm going to talk about Dak Prescott. So Dak Prescott signed the franchise tag a couple days ago. And... It got me thinking, why is this taking so long for Dak, his agent, and Jerry Jones to all get together and come up with a long-term deal? Think about it. Carson Wentz, who was a quarterback in Dak's class, already signed to a long-term deal. Jared Goff, who was also in Dak's quarterback class, signed to a long-term deal. And you could make an argument that through the totality of his career, Dak Prescott has been better than both Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Jared Goff, his rookie year, Jared Goff was awful. <laughs> People were wondering if Jared Goff could play. Jared Goff only had really one year when we were like, he's this good, and that was a couple years ago in the Super Bowl year. And also, by the way, he asked Sean McVay, one of the uh, most renowned offensive minds in the NFL, which makes Jared Goff look a lot better than he actually is. Jared Goff gets his long-term deal, cha-ching. Then you go to Carson Wentz. Injury history. The Eagles won a Super Bowl. Carson Wentz is a Super Bowl ring, right? And he didn't play. Carson Wentz, he's missed a lot of regular season games over the course of his career. He's missed a lot of critical postseason games in his career. Carson Wentz gets paid. Dak, every year he's been in the NFL, he has been a great quarterback. He's exceeded expectations being a fourth-round pick, and he's played well. Yet, there's no deal. When... No. It's like you've been dating somebody four or five years. You know, you enjoy their personality. The sex is great. Everything is going well. You really enjoy being around the person, but you don't want to marry them. <laughs> when they ask if they can move in, you're like, nah, let's just stay at separate houses. Let's just stay at separate houses. You, you got to be like, huh, what's going on? I, I thought things are going well. Can't we take the next step? That's the way I kind of feel, feel what's going on with Jerry Jones and Dak Prescott. Why can't they take that next step? Dak has been a model citizen. And he's been productive, like I said. His rookie year, he had about 23 touchdown passes, four interceptions. Just to put this in perspective, Jameis Winston will throw four picks in a game. <laughs> Dak has rookie year through four picks the entire season. And the Dallas Cowboys were 13-3 and three that year and had a bye. This past year, Dak was productive. Third in passing yards per game in the NFL. Third. He was second in total passing yards. He was fourth in passing touchdowns. That sounds like a guy that should get paid, that should get the bag, that should get money. And then what makes it worse? Another guy that was in that draft, along with Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, and Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott gets his long-term deal. And... I'm going to list some of the stuff that Ezekiel has been caught in. 
domestic violence allegation, domestic violence allegation. And for those of you who also want to look this up, there is a video online of Ezekiel Elliott with a young lady and he just takes her top down and looks like an idiot and then she pulls it back up. And there's a bunch of other stuff I could list that Zeke's done, a litany of other incidents that aren't too great. Pushing down a scrawny little security guard too, to add to that, and Ezekiel Elliott gets paid. Jerry Jones is rewarding bad behavior. <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> you have a kid and uh, <laughs> you find out your son knocks somebody out and your dad's like, hey! Johnny, let's get you an Xbox because you knocked some kid out. No, you don't want that. You don't get an Xbox for knocking out another kid at school. You would hope that doesn't happen. Your teacher gives you an A in class, gives you perfect attendance, and you were never in class. <laughs> right? This is the type of stuff that is going on with Jerry Jones and Ezekiel Elliott. Like, and then Dak is getting left behind just being like, okay. I'm watching two quarterbacks, two contemporaries of mine, who I think I'm personally better than, and Carson Wentz and Jared Goff get paid. I'm watching my own teammate who Fs up time and time again and who makes a fool of himself, and he gets paid. And, and I've done nothing but be a model citizen, be the franchise leader, be the franchise voice and face, be the most consistent thing the Dallas Cowboys have had in years, and we're playing games here through the media and Chris Sims is having to make reports of what's going on with the Dak Prescott deal and now I'm signing a franchise tag. It's overplayed. It should have, it should, this shouldn't be happening. Dak should have a long-term deal. And I don't know what's taking so long. Now, cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. I'm going to have Kenny Sim on the show. Cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have my guy, Kenny Sim. He does scouting for 247 Sports. How you doing, Kenny? Good, Daryl. It's good to be back on, back at the barbershop with you for a couple of minutes of your time. Well, maybe a little bit more minutes. I'm going to take an hour. Like <laughs> you usually do, just knocking out some football. Now, really quickly, and what we're going to do is we're going to do a I believe, Kenny, we're going to do quarterbacks and uh, head coaches for the hot seat too, right? Quarterback, wide receiver, running back combination in the NFL. But first, I do want to get your take on this. So, Jamal Adams, all-pro safety for the New York Jets, requests a trade. Do you think the Jets will deal him? No, I don't because he has, he's in, uh, he was taken in 2017, so he's entering year four. So he, he, he has two years left on his deal, and they don't have to trade him for two years. So, I mean, and, and then after that, you know, after two years of his rookie contract, they can franchise him. So they really control him for three years, and they don't have to do anything. So, I mean, 
you know, he could, I mean, he could sit out for the next three years if he wants. I mean, the Jets kind of control the situation here. But also is what I would do as a as a um, if I was running the Jets and as a Jets fan, what I would like them to do is see you know coming to an agreement on a contract extension. One of the best safeties in the game, um, but kind of right now his demands are very outlandish of being paid you know over twenty million dollars for a safety when Eddie Jackson is the highest paid safety in the game at fourteen and a half million. That's a lot of money, but I think ultimately what what the Jets are going to do is, is the Jets are going to keep him, and and they're under um, they're under no time pressure to trade him either. Which 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 I think I think Jamal Adams knows that too, which is why he's really ratcheting up the pressure on the Jets. Now here will be my question for you, Kenny, really quickly. So. We all assume the Jets aren't going to be good next year. So if you assume that the team's not going to be good, why not trade Jamal Adams for a couple of first-round picks so you can build around Sam Darnold more? Yeah, I'm not sure if he would, you know, being a safety and being off the ball, I don't know if he would really get two first-round picks, for example, like a, like a Jalen Ramsey did, but a Jalen Ramsey plays corner too. So I think you have to take a look at the position he plays and – um, first round pick. I mean, it's going to take. I think for, for for the Jets to get good value from, it's going to take a first round pick and more. But but the bottom line here, I think, what a lot of people are missing here is that you know when you're a bad team, the point of the draft is you have a high pick, you pick a high prospect player, he turns out for you, and then you re-sign him, and then you keep him, you know, in your organization. I mean you know, the points to get really good young players. So they did a really good job in the draft when when they took him at number six, they hit on him. They really have to try to work out something. And and I think, you know, some of the bridges were burned at the trade deadline when they floated his name out there. I wouldn't really do that to alienate my best players. I think more and more the NFL you're seeing, especially with the higher paid players, is they do have a lot of say from what they did, you know, a couple of decades back. But you really should be building a partnership from from management to player. So that's really where it has to go. So, um, no, I, I, I just just being like, if you were a Jet front office member or a Jets fan, I don't think you're really in the business of drafting high players, hitting on them, and then trading them. I'd really be trying to work on you know, a money thing with him and work something out. And also with Sam Darnold on his rookie contract, they have the space to work out, you know, a deal that's good for both parties. You know, being the highest paid safety at $15 million might be able to do that, but, um, you know, he he would come to his terms when, when you know that he's, he's not getting paid $20 million and being one of the highest paid defenders in the league as a safety. Okay, and Dak Prescott uh, a couple days ago signs the franchise tag for the Dallas Cowboys. And to me, Kenny, I guess what I'm concerned about is I don't understand what's taking Dak, his agent, and Jerry Jones so long. Dak has been so consistent. He's been, to me, he's been more consistent since he's been drafted than his quarterback contemporaries in the same draft class, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Jerry Jones rewards Ezekiel Elliott, who was in that same class, for bad behaviors and pulling down the woman's tops on uh, <laughs> on World Star for people to see. Yet Zeke gets paid. 
Why is Dak not getting a long-term extension? Yeah, I think really what the Cowboys are worried about here in this case is putting putting Dak Prescott on a scale when you look at him in you know, you look at where the quarterbacks are going maybe in about two years. I want to talk about 2021 because by that time, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes should have mega deals, maybe upwards of $40 million. Dak Prescott's going to want to, he, he's going to want that too, but um, there's, there's never been a Super Bowl winner that has allocated that much cap to their QB, one of those QB mega deals you take a look at off. Uh, a Drew Brees right now, an Aaron Rodgers, a Matt Ryan, a Carson Wentz. It is a lot to really allocate that much of your budget to one player, especially with a position as important as quarterback. So Dak Prescott knows that, and he knows that the Cowboys are going to have to, you know, if, if, if they want to you know, reach all their goals and dreams and aspirations, Dak Prescott is going to be the quarterback of that team. So he knows that they're going to have to keep him. So he's in position to demand, you know, kind of what, what he wants. And I think he wants that contract around, you know, $40 million on an annual basis up there with Dak Prescott, up, up there with what Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson will probably get similar money to Russell Wilson. But I don't think he's, he's in that tier of quarterback with them. So it's, with, with, with those players. So it's a tricky situation to maneuver because, you know, it comes down to leverage in this point and Dak Prescott has that right now. And, and, and even if he does sign his franchise or so, so, so he, he, he is going to play under the franchise tag this year. If they don't come out to a long-term deal, he will show up and he will play this year at 31 million. And then we could do this all over again next year, where he's going to be due about thirty-eight million, I think, if, if they do the franchise tag again. So it's not a bad deal for him to get, you know, sixty-eight million dollars um, over the course of the next two years. But I think the real problem in this case was how the Cowboys kind of allocated their cap backwards by starting off with Zeke Elliott and Amari Cooper, instead of kind of starting with the quarterback and getting the quarterback locked up long-term and then going from there and filling in the other positions as needed, which now they have to kind of fit Dak Prescott into a situation, and they have a lot of cap allocated, uh, a small amount of guys if you take a look with those guys on offense, a couple guys on defense. So they're they're in a tough situation cap-wise, which is why, they're kind of playing a little hardball from the Cowboys management standpoint. Okay. Now let's get to the moment we've been waiting for. So, Kenny, explain your top quarterback, wide receiver, running back combinations in the NFL. Yeah, I kind of started off a list. I kind of just spitballed, or I kind of just looked across the landscape, across the divisions in the NFL, and I came up with, I came up with, uh, eight that I thought were worthy that had, you know, really above average players at each of those spots, multiple pro bowlers, which is kind of where kind of, uh, kind of where you get like, uh, like, like the top five or so you'll, you'll see many of the game's best players on the same team. And so I took that list. I got it down to five. So I have, I have the top five. So, so you want me to uh, kind of start off with, really briefly the guy or, or, or the team that just missed the cut and then we could kind of discuss the top five then? Yeah, let's start at the honorable mentions. 
Okay, the, the, the honorable mention, uh, I have three of them, so kind of like the six, seven, and eight. Uh, all these teams, um, well, well, let's just start, start, start off with it. Team that I'm a little intrigued by is the Arizona Cardinals. I just missed it. So a really dynamic player in Kyler Murray. Going to be, uh, I think, from a statistical standpoint, a top five fantasy quarterback this year. Had a nice rookie year. Add Kenyon Drake, who came in came in at the end of the year, and then he had a really an underrated receiver room that's going to probably cause some problems in the NFC West. In New Hopkins, one of the game's best receivers, Larry Fitzgerald still going strong, and Christian Kirk, who who, who had a nice year, over 800 yards. Um, number seven that I thought was just a solid group, but what about one pro bowler? And I have a little questions on the quarterback is, is the Philadelphia Eagles. So Carson Wentz, solid. I think he's a good, but I don't think he's a great quarterback. My, Miles Sanders, who if he gets a lot of, uh, a lot of the workload this year, I think he's poised for a big year. And then really the reason why I didn't put them in the top five is I have questions with their wide receiver room still. Their their top guy is Zach Ertz, and then a, you know several other guys that um, are not multiple Pro Bowlers like you see in the top half. And then number six is the Cleveland Browns. So the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, second leading rush in the NFL, Kareem Hunt. That that was the top running back room in the NFL. And then Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Odell Beckham coming off a tough year, so he's had three really good years and then three below-average years. It's kind of a crossroads for him. Um, but they got really good weapons. Baker may be the worst of those top six core quarterbacks. I think he'll bounce back, though. Uh, but, it, but it's really hard to put them into the top five with what they did last year. they got to show me on the field. If Baker Mayfield so, wasn't so bad last year, if we take rookie quarterback Baker Mayfield... Are the Browns in the top five? Yeah, I would say so because you would have, you know, a, a, a better year from Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, and I think they'll get that too with kind of the the, the offense he's in and the guys around him, the improved offensive line. I think you will get more of a year one Baker Mayfield and a big a big year for him. So they they kind of just. Just on the honorable mention cut as well. So now we're down to the to our top five quarterback, running back, receiver rooms. Those combos in the NFL. And I also really yeah yeah yeah. Okay, no, really quickly, I was gonna say I want to hit on Arizona really quickly. Would you say is it possible? How possible is it that Arizona has a top five offense in the NFL next year? Because you mentioned they have Kirk, they have Fitzgerald, they have D. Hopkins. Uh, they have Kenyon Drink and they have Kyler Murray who could, you know, we've seen second-year quarterbacks like Lamar and Patrick Mahomes take that step in their second year being MVP caliber players. What are the chances Arizona can be a top-five offense in the NFL? I think they'll be a good offense. I don't know about top-five, though, because you, you, you still have the number. I, I think they were the uh, number two scoring offense last year, San Francisco 49ers. So they still return everyone, and then you got – Baltimore, the Saints, the Chiefs, the Bucks, um, teams like that. So it's going to be hard for them to be in the top five. Also considering that this is this is the toughest division in football, and there are some really good, really good programs in that division. Um, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't know with the new playoff rules if it's possible to have. Well, well, it is possible to have all four. 
playoff. But I think a lot of those teams would cannibalize each other. Um, but the point I'm making is that, you know, if there was, you know, hypothetically a team or, or a division that would have all their teams make the playoffs, division winner, three wild cards, it'd be the NFC West. But I think you're going to have, you know, all these teams playing each other multiple times, beating each other up. Uh, solid defenses in that division. I think the Cardinals are on the right track, but, you know, looking at maybe 7-9, seven, 6-10 seven and 10 still at, in a really tough division. I think the division, too, is going to, you know, prevent them from having huge offensive explosions, too. Okay. Now let's get to your top five, Kenny. Who do you have at five? Yeah, the fifth. Uh, the fifth room I have is I got the Baltimore Ravens with with Lamar Jackson at quarterback, J.K. Dobbins, and Ingram at running back. Also including Lamar Jackson as a runner too. He was the uh, I have down he he was the number six runner in the NFL last year too. Does it all thirty six touchdowns, six picks, and then that run game is just vastly superior to anyone else. So it picked up a little bit with their, kind of their wide receiver group with Hollywood Brown and then they do a lot with the tight ends. Nick, Nick, Nick Boyle and then Mark Andrews who had a really nice rookie year too. It'll be fifth because their, their receiver slash tight end, those guys going out for passes are substantially worse than the other top four guys I have. But you know, you take a look at Lamar Jackson, number one in QBR last year, number three quarterback rating, adding J.K. Dobbins to a running back room that had Mark Ingram made the Pro Bowl, 1,018 yards, five yards of carry. That's really good. He was one of the three guys with five yards of carry. Um, and then they were the number one scoring offense in the NFL last, last year. So got to put them in the top five. Now, who do you have a four? Then at four, I had a, it's going to be a projection because they got a new quarterback, but I'm going with the Tampa Bay Bucs. So, Tom Brady, still really good. I, got, I, I and, and I think you need to look at his year this year. So, um, last year, 88 quarterback rating, only 6.6 yards in attempt. Didn't have as good of a season as he did kind of in the middle part of the decade. Um, but you take a look at what Bruce Arians did and kind of fitting the offense to the personnel. And if you think back in 2015 when he had a really old Parson Palmer, David Johnson as a rookie, third-round pick who really came on as a plus player, and the receiver room that they had, they got up to the number two seed NFC Championship. Really think you got to take a look at that with what you're getting in this year's Tampa Bay team. So you got Tom Brady. Um, he, he's always had a running back he could check down to, whether it be Kevin Falk, Rex Burkhardt, James White. They got Ronald Jones, Peyton Barber, and Devon Kidd, uh, the rookie out of Vanderbilt. So Vaughn and Ronald Jones both could catch the ball out of the backfield, too. So, so he's going to have that type of player. I'm interested to see if Vaughn could emerge as that, as that receiver that could catch, you know, six catches out of the backfield with the best receiver group in the NFL, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, both those guys, top 13 in receiving yards last year. I think they're two top 10 receivers, too, in Godwin and Evans. 
Uh, really had nice years last year. I think they'll fit in because they've got short, medium, and long game with the, what Tom Brady wants to do. Really intrigued with the route running of good of, of, of Godwin with the precision of Tom Brady, too. And they also have a really strong tight end room going out for passes, too, with um, led, led by Rob Gronkowski coming back out of retirement. They got Bronx. They got O.J. Howard, Cameron Bray. Tom Brady has always been really good with two receive, with, with, with two tight ends. Bruce Arians said that he's going to tailor it to a lot of that 12 personnel situation. That's a really good skill room if you have those two tight ends, two receivers, and, and, and a back out of the backfield. Um, got Tom Brady with his best group of receivers in years past. I got them at number four. Could we see Brady be a top five QB again with uh, this amount of talent around him? Yeah, I think that was really the problem last year too. Is is you know throwing to like a Nikhil Harry and a Philip Dorsett and a tight end room that no longer had Gronk. I think that played into kind of um, his struggles with that. So he was still good, like touchdown to interception wise, but you know just getting guys open. Um, the Patriots did, didn't have that last year, so I think getting back to that especially with just a solid downfield guy and a Mike Evans and Godwin, too. And and the uh, NFC South has always been a historically high-scoring division, keeping up with the Falcons and the Saints. Um, I think Tampa Bay is going to be able to keep up with them this year, too. So, you know, I think he could be a dark horse MVP candidate. Um, you know, like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes are the favorite, but I think you could see Tom Brady potentially challenge for that, and he's motivated, too. Okay, at number three, who do you got, Kenny? Yeah, number three, this one I looked at closely, and I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys here with uh, that that group of Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, and then the receiver room of Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup. They had three receivers over 800 yards last year. No other team had that. Uh, Michael Gallup actually had 1,100 yards, too. So kind of C.D. Lamb, I think, is going to step into that no, number two receiver in terms of like, all that volume. But you you got one of the best receiver rooms in the NFL, adding Amari Cooper, too. Number four leading rusher, Zeke Elliott, too. So another guy who's top five at his position, Zeke Elliott. Um, just had a – you know, he, he, he's not just eclipsing a thousand yards a year. I mean, he's getting 13, 1400, uh, yard seasons on the ground and he's still, but he's behind a solid offensive line. And then Dak Prescott too. So Dak Prescott really had a nice year last year in a contract year. If he's in another like contract situation, just, just a one year franchise tag, you know, if he's motivated enough and, and really inspired to have another solid year, just look at what he did last year. Number two in yards per attempt, so he was pushing the ball down the field with success. Uh, averaged 300 yards passing, 30 touchdowns, 11 picks. Number four in QBR. Um, really, really looking at this deep dive is Dak Prescott had a really good year. And just and just like what you said in the beginning is he's just been really solid over his career. So it be interesting to see if he could push that into kind of a, just having a really good, you know, top five QB season too. Um he was up there multiple times in top five in significant categories. But you add him with, with I think, is one of the top running backs, you know, number two or three in the NFL, Zeke Elliott. 
with that receiver room, now adding C.D. Lamb. I think that's the number three group in the NFL. Now, my question to you would be, are you with the Cowboys, are you taking into account the fact that, you know, you switch out Jason Garrett for Mike McCarthy and you're theoretically going to have a better offensive mind so these players are going to be able to get off better than they did last year? Yeah, I think so, too. So, so they, you know, they kept offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, but but now this is really Mike McCarthy, and, and, and he, he's going to be calling the plays and running that offense like he did with Aaron Rodgers when it was with Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson. That type of offense with similar players like an Amari Cooper, a C.D. Lamb, Zeke Elliott now, Mike McCarthy's never had a running back like Ezekiel Elliott, too, who could also catch the ball out of the backfield. I think you really got to account for that, too. And, and you know, it's going to be a fascinating team. I mean, they already get a lot of attention as is, but it is going to be a fascinating team and one of the most talked-about teams, too, is because you have Mike McCarthy. Um, you know, you take a look at him, and he, he, he got a similar resume to Sean Payton and Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh in terms of wins terms of winning percentage in Super Bowls. Um, this was a home run higher when they got him. So, so I'm excited to see him um, in, I don't know, it's probably his most talented offense that, that, that he's had. So I am accounting for that, too. And it's a big upgrade on paper, and I think it'll be proven this year, a big upgrade at the head coaching position with Mike McCarthy over Jason Garrett. Now, who do you have at number two, Kenny? Yeah, number two... Now we're getting down to just the units that, you know, these skill guys, I know Dallas didn't make the playoffs last year, but these these, these skill rooms and quarterbacks now are why these are, you know, two of the top four teams and top offense with top offenses when you think about it. Number two, I have the New Orleans Saints. So this is a powerhouse group with Drew Brees. Drew Brees is really mastering the QB game now. 74%. I mean, it's almost like an automatic completion when he goes back to pass. Um, really good. Lo- losing some of the arm strength, though. So he was number 10 in yards per attempt. So not as high as some of the other guys like a Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. But he's mastering that PhD level of really deciphering the defense. 27 picks, uh, 20, 27 touchdowns, four picks, number two in QB rating. Um, and then and then the backfield of Alvin Kamara. Now, you won't see Alvin Kamara kind of as a rushing leader because they don't expose him a lot to the rushing game. Um, you know, just over 100 carries for three years, but he's been over 1,500 total yards for three years. 81 catches all three three years of his career um, just, just as a weapon out of the passing game, which is really where they use him best is getting a matchup on a linebacker. Uh, really solid player, and then and then the receiver group with the best receiver in the NFL, Michael Thomas, almost an automatic completion when you throw him the ball, 81% success rate, and then you add Miles Sanders and Jared Cook, Jared Cook number one in tight ends among yards per catches, but you have that room, you take a look at now Drew Brees behind a really good offensive line in the later stages of his career. And you add those weapons, just an all-pro Michael Thomas, getting now Sanders, a pro bowler, and Kamara. That's a really good group. I like Drew Brees a little bit more than Dak Prescott, which is why I have the Saints at number two. So, okay, well, this is what I want to ask you, Kenny. So, uh, 
How much higher do you think? How how would you compare Drew Brees and Tom Brady at their point at this point in their careers? So at this point in their careers, we're like um. Who do you think's better? We're like a one. Yeah, right now I think Drew Brees is better. I think Drew Drew, Drew Brees is better. I think he's in um um he's he's had better seasons the last few years compared to Tom Brady in New England. Um, but Drew Brees is uh, you know so him and Tom Brady still do. A lot of that dink and dunking, a lot of those short yards, like those within those 10 yards, you're kind of winning with your mind. But Drew Brees is really coming on and mastering the game. Um, 74% completion. Brady doesn't do that. Very rarely do you see him make a mistake in terms of turning the ball over. Um, and then, you know, number two in Cork in QB rating, he still has those games where what I, th- I, I think it was last year, he was, he was like 29 of 30 throwing the ball in the game. Uh, you'll still get those firebomb games when he has, you know, four touchdowns, 400 yards, and getting in a shootout, too. Um, I would take Drew Brees right now going forward if I had a, you know, kind of pick quarterback for one year. So, okay, I guess this is what my point is. So if you, put, if you switch Drew Brees and Tom Brady, how high does Tampa go? So it's okay. So if you were to do that, then um, I don't know. I might still keep. I might still keep that weaponry of of Kamara, Michael Thomas, and Sanders over the running back in Tampa. So you got the advantage there with the Saints. I think Michael Thomas in a group of Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans. I think. Michael Thomas is the best receiver of that group, so the Saints still have the best receiver there. Um, collectively, maybe the room is a little bit better um, at receiver for the Bucks than the Saints. But I think that, but but I think you got to consider too just how much of an advantage Kamara is over Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber. So I get the best running back and best receiver on the Saints compared to the Bucks. I think I would still have the Saints above the box. Would you have the Bucks above the Cowboys then? I think I would because so then you would have now you would have in the scenario Drew Brees on the Bucks and you know I still like Brees over Dak running back you kind of give the edge a little a little bit of an edge to Zeke and then you know, I still like those receiver rooms in the in the NFC South over the Cowboys. Really good across the board, but you have, I mean, you got two guys that are just all pros in Mike Evans and Michael Thomas compared to Amari Cooper in Dallas. So it just goes to show you again, you know, looking at the Saints at number two is not only do they have just, just, Top of the level players at quarterback, running back, and receiver, but they have some of the game's best too at those positions. And I think you got to really consider Michael Thomas, best start of a receiver in NFL history, set the record for most catches, almost an automatic catch when you throw him the ball. That's just a huge, a huge safety net. Um, so I think that's kind of where I would go with that, with 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 the. Now, Kenny, tell me, who do you have number one on your list? Who's the king of the kingdom here? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the top kingdom in the kingdom is going to be the chief kingdom, and and you know, so so the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's let's go through this and why they're number one here. Is I think they got the best player in the NFL, best quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. Um, so he has the advantage over Brees and Brady because you take a look at kind of efficiency and you know. Completing passes, but also getting the ball down the field. Patrick Mahomes, 8.3 yards per attempt. I think that was number two last year in the NFL. Uh, Average just under 300 yards passing a game, 102 quarterback rating. Some crazy stat I saw from a guy um, who said last year, I think think teams that were down double-digit points in playoff games have been like, you know, like 4-22 or whatever it is. Like, you're going to lose. Patrick Mahomes was 3-0 and last year when he was down double digits. Back-to-back-to-back to back to back against the Texans, Titans, and uh, the 49ers. Just really impressive. And then you add the running back room of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think if you remember during the draft season, I kind of comped him to Brian Westbrook. So now Andy Reid has his best, his, his best running back. Um, they already had a productive room with Daryl and Damian Williams. But you add Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who had 55 catches at LSU with Joe Burrow. That's a really good number, two for, for a running back. So he's going to be able to run the ball in that system, but also a huge a huge advantage catching the ball out of the backfield. Now a huge threat, too. Um, don't know if he'll get as many touches to do what Kareem Hunt did as a rookie, but I kind of you think you, you, you kind of can see how he could be like a Kareem Hunt-type role just a really explosive guy. And now you got to account for the running back now as opposed to, like, Damien and Darnell Williams and, and, and Darwin Thompson now. Upgrading the running back room. And then you get the receiver room. And I think Tyree Kill's the third-best receiver in football. I'm a really big fan of his game. A little injured last, last, last year, but still. A healthy 14.6 yards per catch over his career. Beadster, one of the fastest receivers in the game. Then they got a slew behind them, and, and Sammy Watkins, McCole Hardman, who's a track star, Demarcus Robinson, and then Travis Kelsey, too. You take a look at Travis Kelsey here. I mean, you kind of have to consider him almost like a wide receiver as, as a guy that had like better numbers than, than a Chris Godwin, who we're, we're, we're on this debate with. Is Tra- Travis Kelsey had 1,200 yards receiving. That was number four in the NFL as a tight end number eight in catches. So that 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 Hill-Travis-Kelsey combination is lethal. It's been lethal for two years, which you see with Patrick Mahomes being, you know, the number one or number two scoring offense. So you kind of consider all of that, you know, as long as he's healthy, I don't see them. I'm, I mean, if, if, if Patrick Mahomes is healthy all 16 games, I think this is going to be the number one scoring team in the NFL, in the Kansas City Chiefs. So you kind of have to consider all of that. Upgrade at the running back room. I'm going to go with them at uh, number one. Okay. Is Kansas City in their own tier at number one? Like, how close do you say the same to the Cowboys, the Ravens, and uh, the Buccaneers are? Is Kansas City in their own league? No, I wouldn't say they're 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 in their own league. I think I think Drew. Uh, I mean, you take a look at the, the Saints. The Saints have been a consistent team that you know they're going to. Average 30 points a game, and their offense is going to be hard to stop. You know, at the end of games when you need to get that stop, or if you're down by, the Saints are down by six, you know they're going to answer and score. 
I wouldn't say they're in their own tier. I mean, they all have they all have guys. Um, what they all have probably a consensus two Pro Bowlers on on each each of those three teams. Um, they got a combination of depth at a lot of these spots too. So, you know, the Chiefs have. I think they're the fastest. If you look at the forty times, I think they have the fastest receiver room in the NFL with Hill and and Hardeman, who I like a lot, and Watkins and Robinson. That's four guys right there. Bucks are also really strong at the tight end spot with three guys too. So you have a combination of, you know, if if we have guys go down, there's enough depth to carry the load and not miss a beat, which is I which is. I think it's the reason why these are the top three teams, and I think this is the reason why the Chiefs are ahead of teams like, um, like the Browns or the Ravens. Um, like for that matter, is if, if if you if you have a skill guy go down, there's there's enough depth where they don't miss a beat, and I think that has a lot to do with the quarterback too, with Mahomes um, putting a you know almost anyone around him and he can put up 35 on you. Um, but 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 I think it's close though, and and I'm really interested to see how this NFC South goes this year with the Saints and the Bucks because I think these are two really evenly matched teams that have really similar firepower, uh, just really carbon copies of each other at the skill realm. Um, kind of interested that that they were number two and three on this list, and they're gonna be playing each other. So be interesting to see. But I don't think there's a I, I, I wouldn't say the Chiefs are in a tier of its own. I think it's really close at the top. Okay, Kenny, now what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to talk about who's on the hot seat. Kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Sports like we still have Kenny Sim with us before we went through the top quarterback, wide receiver, running back combinations in the NFL. And now we're going to get into who's on the hot seat. Now, first, I sprung this on you, Kenny. So we're going to do quarterbacks. Just give us a couple quarterbacks you have on the hot seat for this year. Yeah, I got three. Um, so three guys I have in the hot seat. The first one is Derek Carr. So going into a second year with John Gruden, I think at some point, uh, John Gruden, not only do I call him the, the coach of the Raiders, or the Raiders, he's also the king of the Raiders because he's got that ironclad 10-year, $100 million contract. He's not going anywhere. He's only in year three of that. They can't get out of that $70 million buyout. So, <laughs> um, but, but. But the point I'm making is at some point, Gruden's going to want to get his quarterback that he either signs in free agency or drafts. And there's been some rumblings now that he's not a big fan of Derek Carr. I was surprised that they didn't um, that they didn't draft a QB. But they bring in former number two pick Marcus Mariota um, to kind of push him a little bit. But I got to think, and, and then you kind of think about the landscape of the AFC. I don't think... Uh, 
probably in my playoff predictions. I don't have the Raiders as a playoff team. I think they're going to be on the fringe, though, and better. Um, I'm not sure if you will have them either as a playoff team, but three years and no playoff with Gruden. I think, you know, you could kind of see the signs where he's going to want to make a splash in, in, uh, in the QB market, whether it be drafting a guy in the first round or, or burning a trade or whomever um, that's available. I know last year in free agency we had so many QBs available. Um, I got to think at some point he's going to want his quarterback. So I have Derek Carr on the hot seat. I also have two, two other guys uh, in their draft class, both in 2016, Jerry Goff and Carson Wentz. So, so here's what you have now is you have both these guys, really similar contracts, these $130 million deals. Um, both of them are being paid in the mid thirties. I think Jared Goff is actually like the second or third highest player football uh, at about $35 million. But here's the problem with, with, you know, giving these QBs huge contracts is you got to make cuts somewhere else along the lines to keep up with, with, with the salary cap when you allocate that much to one guy. You see a little bit of a drop-off in roster, a little bit drop-off in talent around guys like that. The quarterback expected to elevate it up and keep the teams going, keep, keep these being Super Bowl teams, just, just like the Eagles and Rams have been. And Rams missed the playoffs last year. I think both those guys are on the hot seat because, you know, you go another year of not making the playoffs in L.A., or you take a look at Carson Wentz, you know, with this mega contract, he's never won a playoff game. Now, he hasn't stayed healthy, uh, played at an MVP level in 2017, but he's never won a playoff game, and we're in year five with him now. So I think both these guys are on the hot seat this year for the amount of money they're making. They're expected to be one of the top QBs in the league and carry their team to the playoffs and, and win Super Bowls with that contract. So um, I think both those guys in 2016 are going to be – or both those guys from the 2016 draft class, Wentz and Golf, are on the hot seat this year. If both of the – okay, so here's what I would think. If the Raiders don't make the playoffs, Carr's gone. We agree on that, right? Yeah. Now, in terms of the Eagles and the Rams, because – but right, both these franchises, they are invested in Jared Goff's and Carson Wentz's success. Like, these coaches want them to succeed. The general managers want them to succeed. The owners want them to succeed. So this is a little bit different from the Raiders situation where Gruden's like, you know, whatever. I'll get my guy. So here's my question. So if Carson Wentz gets hurt, hurt again or has a drop-off in play or Jared Goff gets hurt for some reason has a drop-off in play, will they be replaced? No, I don't think you can replace them because, um, well, it would be interesting in Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts now, but but the point is, no, you can't get off those contracts because the dead cap hit is, I mean, you can look this up, but, but the dead cap hit that they have invested in these guys that they have to pay these guys whether they're on the team or not is huge. I think for Jared Dolph, I think, just knowing how much he gets paid. I think it's like $60 million he's owed that they have to pay whether he's on the team or not. So if he, like, hypothetically, if he's not on the team, $30 million of the cap is going to Jared Goff and he's not on the team, <laughs> just like with Todd Gurley, too. So, so, so the point is that they can't get off these guys. So they're invested in these guys. That's why, you know, it, it's a huge decision to invest money in these, um, in these quarterbacks when you give them that huge second deal. So, no, they can't be replaced at all. They're kind of stuck with them. 
And I think, you know, kind of, kind of going down the path of like a, like a Matt Ryan, is you kind of go into QB purgatory, I call it, is you have these quarterbacks who are, they're good enough where you'll never have like a top five pick and be able to take a top guy. Um, they're, they're, they're never bad enough to do that, but they're never good enough to really lead you to, you know, just a consistent top Super Bowl contending team. I know the Falcons made it one year with Matt Ryan, but you're kind of stuck in the middle and you have a lot of this, a lot of this cap allocated to court, to, to quarterbacks. I think that's why you see kind of teams stuck in the middle of the pack, like the Falcons or like the Lions with Matt Stafford, um, stuff like that. So, you know, those 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 are two teams that, that they made the Super Bowl with, with Goff and Wentz on their rookie deals. Now this is kind of the second phase of their relationship with team and quarterback. So we'll have to see how it goes. But no, you can't really replace them. Um, It'd be just interesting to monitor, though, what what would happen if if uh, Wentz goes down and Jalen Hurst kind of plays well. So we'll have to see about that. Now let's get to the head coaches. Now, Kenny, give us some head coaches that are on the hot seat. Do you have a list? Or are you doing like a? How are you doing your list? Yeah, I got five. I got five that are pretty uh, that, that 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 are pretty solid. I didn't rank them five through one, but I have. I have five uh, coaches that I have that are uh, that hot seat's pretty warm right now. For some, it's it's it, it's scorching hot. So okay, um, just give us one name. Yeah. Let, let's just start off with, and we'll go through each individual. Sure, sure. So the first one is Matt Patricia. So Matt Patricia, he's nine twenty two and one in two seasons with the uh, with the Lions, and you kind of look at okay. Where he backed off in terms of just teams in the division. So I'm a big I'm a big believer in. Let's look at your division and do you and where does your quarterback rank one through four and coach one through four in that division? Matt Patricia is the fourth head coach in that division out of four. He's nine twenty two and one. He's had a tough time implementing his Patriot style with the Lions, and then you have the owner who just who just sold her ownership stake uh, in the Lions. But nonetheless, Martha Ford did uh, say that she, she wanted the Lions to make the playoffs this year to keep the GM, Bob Quinn, and Matt Patricia. But I think regardless of that, is it's really hard to justify keeping a coach for, you know, a fourth year if he's, you know, 4-12, and 5-11 and 11 for three straight years. So I, I do have Patricia as one of the top guys on the hot seat this year. Will Patricia get canned, in your opinion? Yeah, I think ultimately he will. I, I think it's it's um it's been kind of hard for him to kind of get that Patriot style. Uh, he's had some in game clock management issues too in the past. And you take a look at just a, a really underappreciated quarterback in Matt Stafford not being able to put a team around him. Um, I think he's feeling the heat and especially having just what would that be? That would, that would be three straight last place finishes for, for the Lions. It'd be hard to justify that. Um, I think they got some talent offense with, with Stafford. If you pair him up with, with a young offensive mind, that they could have a little bit uh, – the arrow would be pointing up with that. So I do think he's going to be – I think this might be his last year. 
Now, who's your next guy that we have on the hot seat? Yeah, like I said, I got five, so this is number two. Num- number two is Doug Marone. Doug Marone, I mean, he's... he's uh, so, they've had... Basically, they've done everything wrong since they had a 10-point lead <laughs> in the fourth quarter of the AFC Championship with Blake Bortles. Blowing that 10-point lead, getting really conservative along the way, and that's kind of been down ever since. So, they go 5-11, 6-10 last two years. He's 22-28 and 28 as the head man in Jacksonville going into year four. I think the Jags are going to be one of the worst teams in the league. It's going to be hard to, again, it's going to be hard, you know, when you're a head coach and you go two, three straight years of last place finishes, it's hard to keep you. Um, really, and, and, and I've, I've never seen Doug Run as a guy that brings a lot to the table, kind of just being just kind of like the, like this overpaid meathead. Um <laughs> So, you know, this is, <laughs> he is. He's an overpaid meter. I mean, I mean, take a look at just at just kind of the stubbornness. I mean, I started off at that AFC title game, and and, and you know, is that it, so? So, so they had the lead, and they had the ball uh, like a minute thirty left and two timeouts, and they just sat on it, and they had a chance to kind of move the ball down the field, had two times two timeouts, and extend that lead, and and. You know, it was in Doug Peterson's book. He was watching that game being so, so mad about it. And then the next game uh, in those uh, the conference title game in 2017, Doug Peterson had the ball in a similar situation by a lot against Minnesota, and he kept the pedal on the metal, and he extended that lead, you know, like 28-0 at halftime. But but it's just it's just that conservative nature and stuff like that and, and – I mean, they've alienated so many of their top guys. So Ngakwe and Jalen Ramsey and Kalis Campbell, Leonard Fournette. Um, I think it's time for a restart. And if they have a top, if, if they have the number one or number two pick next year, I think it'd be a really good, a really good bet for the Jaguars to reset the franchise with a quarterback and a head coach. So I think that, I think that hot seat scorching for Doug Marone. So the AFC Championship game appearance at bottom a couple of years, but uh. Now the chickens are coming home to roost. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah, especially too. And, and you take a look at just kind of like the locker room and just just alienating the top guys on the team, and um, you know stuff like that, and not 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 having a good rapport with your players. It, it, it's another it's another reason too for him. Now, who's your third name on the list, Kenny? Yeah, I got a couple more of the. I I, I got another guy here with. I, I kind of used the word alienator by his name too. And I think that he's pretty hot for Adam Gates. So you take a look at Adam Gates, and he's had three straight losing seasons, six, seven, and seven wins. Um, really had a lot of problems last year with the Jets. Um, I think you saw what Jamal Adams said is, is, is just players just don't respect him and that's one of the reasons too I think Jamal Adams might be holding out and you take a look at you know you really don't see year three players hold out a lot um you know like a like a a, a similar guy in the class like a Miles Garrett but but Jamal Adams are uh, um Adam Gates inherited Jamal Adams and it's been a rough a rough relationship to patch up and you have you know if you go another year and you get this guy that's always been kind of considered a QB guru and you know you're 
you're you're now zero and three with no playoffs with Sam Darnold. You know, you add that up to, and you just add just his personality. He's just not a likable guy. He's not likable with the media. Um, he's he's another guy. I've never really understood the love for Adam Gates, even going back when he had Peyton Manning. I mean, Peyton Manning does. He's the OC. On the field calling that offense. Yeah, Peyton Manning's the OC, not Adam Gase. <laughs> exactly, and and he did. He really parlayed that into a head coaching gig. Uh, didn't work out in in uh, in Miami, and he also alienated Jarvis Landry. He he alienated his best players, and then I was really surprised he actually got a head coaching job immediately after being fired. Going on with the Jets again too. Um, you know, I think you could see him being two and out. Also, knowing that Joe Douglas probably has more political capital in that organization than Gates, he he inherited him too. So, I I think that's a situation to monitor too. And I think if you take a look at if um you take a look at the AFC East too, I think the Jets are probably fourth in my AFC East rankings. I kind of like what the Dolphins did with themselves in the offseason. Brian Flores, I like them a little bit more than the Jets. So. You know, having another year, you know, being, you know, 5-11, and 6-10, and 10, I don't think that bodes well for him. The one thing I will say to Adam Gase's credit is, the Jets won seven games last year. I don't know how. As bad as we think the Jets were, they won seven games. <laughs> yeah, they won seven games, and then when, um, the last year he was fired in Miami, they also went 7-9, and nine too, so... Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's not like one of those guys like Matt Patricia where you immediately look to the record. But I think a lot of these guys on the hot seat, it's a combination of record. It's a combination of, of how you work with your locker room. And then it's a combination of just having just big decisions that come across the head coach's desk. And it's just multiple swings and misses with big decisions, whether, whether it be draft picks or how you want to distribute the football on offense and things like that. It's those big decisions that you continually miss on as a head coach. It just adds up more in, in the negative column than the positive column. Now, who's number two on your list, Kenny? Yeah, this is another one, too. So, so um, I got two more. I didn't really put, put an order on them, though, but, but, but here's one to keep in mind, and, and we, we have two more to go is Dan Quinn. So, you know, you take a look at Dan Quinn and um, him and my last guy I have both have winning records with their team. But the thing with Dan Quinn is, so 2016, they made the Super Bowl. They blew that 28-3 to lead. Their record has declined in three straight years. So going from 11-5 and to 10 and 6 losing in the wild card, 7 and 9 missing the playoffs. Last year, 7 and 9 missing the playoffs. I thought Dan Quinn was going to get fired last year midway at the bye week. They stayed with him. The team really answered to him, and they went 6 and 2 down the stretch to kind of be somewhat respectable at 7 and 9. But this has been a team for years with, you know, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones where they've had the talent to kind of be better than what they end up being, if that makes sense. And, you know, being there five years now and potentially three straight years of missing the playoffs, 
I think you could see a head coaching change, especially when they were so close last year. And, and you get some of these guys that are in, you know, they've been with their team five, six years. They've missed the playoffs. They make it one year on the fringe. Sometimes it's time for a change of scenery, and it's good for both sides. You know, you know, it's a workout for Andy Reid. I, I think it's, I mean, on paper, it looks like it might work out for Mike McCarthy. Some, some, sometimes a change is good. Um, but I really think, you know, I, mean, I kind of tell people it's just never been the same since the Falcons blew that twenty-eight to three lead. They, they, they've kind of had that negative vibe on their plate, and you know it's catapulted with three straight years of having declining records. I think Dan Quinn, um, he was on the hot seat last year. I think he's on the hot seat this year. Bill Belichick and Tom Brady crushing dreams. Look what they did to Doug Marone, and look what they did to Dan Quinn. Damn, Kenny. <laughs> exactly, and, and exactly, and, and then you take a look at. I mean, you can make a list of all the coaches that have gone through the AFC East just with the, with, with the Jets, Bills, and Dolphins that just over the years, how many coaches they've had compared to one with Bill Belichick. Um, yeah, they, they, they have crushed a lot of dreams. Now, who's number one on your list? Yeah, number one, I think, I mean, I had to put down guys that might get fired. I'm pretty confident in Matt Patricia and Doug Marone, but I think, I mean, this, this is a guy that he's probably going to get the most attention of this five-person list we put together. Um, it's Billy O. It's Billy O'Brien. And so, so, so here's the thing with Billy O'Brien is he's one of the most powerful men in the NFL with having GM responsibility, head coaching responsibility. Um, so this is, the, this is the reason not to fire him is – He's had five out of six winning records. Um, they missed the playoffs when Deshaun Watson tore his ACL, but I think, what, four out of five years they've been in the playoffs. So they've been that playoff team. Um, they've made the playoffs with a lot of quarterbacks that have been substandard at best, with like Brian Hoyer and Brock Osweiler. Um, but but here's the thing with Billy O, is when, when you've made, you know, a lot of in-game gaps and – what was it? You were up like 24 nothing against the Chiefs, and then you really have an ill-advised fake punt. There was no need to run a fake punt, and that got the Chiefs back in the game. Stuff like that, and another guy, Alienator, with, with just you take a look at that talent that has gone out of the Houston Texans organization in years past, and you know, they don't have they don't have the cap space or the draft picks to really improve the team. They don't have a first-round pick next year. They don't have a second-round pick next year. they got to pay Laramie Tunsil and Deshaun Watson. Uh, Deshaun Watson has lost a lot of good receiver options, too. Um, but I don't think Bill O'Brien is going to give up his GM duties to anyone. So I think that might cause like a mutual separation. Um, you've got to think at some point a new GM would want his own guy in there. Um, but, but you take a look at, you know, despite the accomplishments, I've never considered Bill O'Brien a top 10 head coach though, too, but you, you kind of add all of that up and not protecting Sean Watson, who had a ton of sacks he took last year too. I think Bill O'Brien, I think that seat has been pretty hot too, with a combination of that plus his GM duties. Is it possible that, uh, let me describe it to you this way. 
a lot of people debate whether Tyron Lue for the Cavs was a good coach, right? And part of the reason Tyron Lue had so much success as well because he had LeBron James and then Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love to a lesser extent. So Tyron Lue's not as good as you would think. Is that the same thing with Bill O'Brien? Deshaun Watson makes Bill O'Brien look better than he actually is? Yeah, I would say so. I think, you know, Bill O'Brien is Take a look, and, and, and the cover's not bare on that team. Like, I mean, so it, it's gotten worse over the years, but the Texans, I mean, the Texans got some players. But but you take a look at Deshaun Watson, you know, I don't know, top five, top six, top seven quarterback, but they don't have a top six, seven NFL team, though. So I think that does go back, and then, you know, that goes back to the GM, and that goes back to the coach, and then you start looking, okay, we got this team that's in the playoffs every year, but Bill O'Brien is always one of the worst playoff coaches, and he's he's not one of the top ten. So I do think, I think Deshaun Watson hides a lot from from kind of like the from the dysfunction that takes place. Um, had that falling out with DeAndre Hopkins too, so it's going to be interesting to see how he does. I, I I definitely think Deshaun Watson keeps that team afloat, but. Eventually, if you have to pay Deshaun Watson a ton of money, like we've talked about with a couple of these QBs tonight um, on the pod, you know you're 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 going to have less cap than you already do on your team. So it's um he's really messed up the team for the uh, for the next one or two years. If you take a look at draft picks, salary cap space, who you have on the team, an aging team. So I think. You know, Deshaun Watson really props up that team to make them a respectable playoff contender year in, year out. Well, Kenny, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again for having me. This is good. It's a fun time again. And once again, I do want to send my thoughts and prayers out to the Chris Winsler family. Uh, I'm praying for you guys. And uh, once again, I also want to thank my guy, Kenny Sim, for coming on the podcast. And thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode. The 174th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.